Good morning, my friends. Hey, uh, we love videos so much that we decided we're actually going to show you another one right now because what I want to do is uh, let you kind of get caught up on where we're at in our Roman series. We're kicking off uh, Romans 5 today, and that's actually kind of a new chunk, a new section within the book of Romans. So I want to catch us up, but I'm going to show you this really quick, a little less than two-minute video, just to wrap, uh, get us back up to speed, and we'll dive in this morning. Go ahead and watch this. Paul's letter to the Romans. Check out the first video where we explored who Paul was, why he wrote this letter, and where we trace the core ideas of chapters 1 through 4. That all humanity is hopelessly trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. That this rescue is not going to happen by people trying to obey the laws of the Torah. Rather, God's righteous character has moved him to rescue the world through Jesus' death and resurrection so that he could create a faith-based multi-ethnic family of Abraham as his people. Now, in the remaining three movements of the letter to the Romans, Paul is going to develop these ideas even more. So, remember, Paul's exploration of justification by faith, that when people trust Jesus' death and resurrection was for them, they're given a new status, they're right with God, they're placed in a new family, the covenant people of Abraham, and they're given a new future, the hope of a transformed life. Now Paul wants to show how this reality should reshape every part of our existence because being in this family means being a part of a new humanity that God is creating through Jesus and the Spirit. So Paul goes back to the first human character of the biblical story, Adam. His name means humanity. And Adam, like all humanity after him, has chosen sin and selfishness. And so everyone faces God's judgment because we've become slaves to sin's influence resulting in death. But then Paul contrasts Adam with Jesus, who he says is the new Adam, a human who lived in faithful obedience to God, shown through his act of sacrificial love. And now Jesus offers his life as a gift to others so that they can be justified before God. And so Jesus stands as the head of a new humanity that is being transformed by this gift, which Am I good now? There we go. Sorry. Uh, that catches you up from the first four chapters into chapter five. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to show that to you this morning is because uh, this whole concept of, oh, it's not up there, but that's okay. The old humanity that's found in Adam, okay, the, the fact that Adam and Eve's sin became a stain on all of humanity, all right, it's the concept of the doctrine of original sin that all of us, we're not born good, we're actually born with a propensity towards sin and evil. Uh, that in Christ, though, uh, that can be removed. And so uh, we have Jesus as kind of a new Adam creating a new humanity for anybody who's willing to believe. That's the whole second half of chapter 5 that I'm not going to talk about this morning. <laughs> so I wanted you to catch that as we dive into the first half of chapter 5, 1 through 11. Now, uh, we titled this week's message, Bragging Rights. Now, I will admit that uh, months ago when we were pulling this whole series together and placing the dates on there, uh, I didn't realize that this would be the day after the Michigan-Michigan State game. However, it feels incredibly fitting now, knowing that that game was played yesterday, uh, in fact, I actually think that Michigan State is 
a perfect illustration for what Paul is trying to explain to us today. Uh, if you remember, a week ago, all right, uh, Michigan State had just lost to arguably the worst team in all of the Big Ten, all right? And they had done it in spectacular fashion. They were unranked. They were considered to have a garbage team for the rest of the season, at least that's what everybody assumed. And Michigan, a week ago, had just beat one of the better teams. In fact, not just beat them, destroyed them on the road. Michigan moved up in the rankings from 18 to number 13 in the nation. Pundits believed that Michigan was going to beat Michigan State by 24 or 25 points. That's three touchdowns and a field goal just to like kick a little more dirt in your face. So uh, all of us who love Michigan kind of thought, man, this game's kind of irrelevant. Uh, it really probably doesn't even need to be played because truth be told, even if we only beat them by a little bit, it's almost going to feel like a loss, right? Like if we don't dominate, destroy, it's really not even necessarily worth playing. It didn't feel like a fair game. It felt like a foregone conclusion. And a little bit later, I'll explain why I think Michigan State helps us to understand what Paul is talking about. Uh, because we're going to talk about a hope that does not put you to shame. And if you're like me, you could use a little bit of that kind of hope this morning. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 5. Let me tell you what I want to do this morning. I'd like to walk us through these 11 verses, and I'm really going to kind of just teach through them uh, verse by verse, uh, chunking it up. I, I want to teach us because there's, there's so much rich uh, information that Paul wants us to, to get as we're walking through this chunk. But after we finish, what I'd like to do then is explain why this is such an important and timely thing for us to understand and learn, not just so that we know it, but so that we can live it. Sound good? All right, Romans chapter five, let's start in verses one and two. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, there's a, a number of things that Paul's actually doing here. Uh, but the first thing that I want us to pay attention to is the very first word. All right. Anytime you see a therefore, this is just like a, a little Bible study nugget, all right, that I'm going to give you. Anytime you see a therefore, you need to ask, what's the therefore, therefore, all right? So anytime you see a therefore, you say, what's the therefore, therefore? Everybody try it. What's the therefore, therefore? Very good. Look at that. You guys picking up a little Bible study nugget today. Usually what that requires is that you would go back and read the last paragraph or two that was previously written because that will explain to you what the therefore is there for. Why is, why is the, the writer saying therefore or in light of this? Now, in this particular scenario, Paul actually explains to us what the therefore is there for right afterwards. So we don't necessarily need to go back in this particular scenario, but at most you want to go back and read a couple of paragraphs. Right here, Paul's going to explain to us. He says, therefore, since or because we have been justified through faith. In other words, Therefore, because justification has happened. Now, last week, we spent some time talking about what justification by faith 
actually means. Remember the word justification? It's kind of a, a big word, word that we don't use all that often. It's a legal term. The word justified is a legal term, meaning to be declared righteous. It's a legal term, meaning to be declared righteous. Now, he's going to go on and give us three more things that once we are declared righteous, okay, it will actually give to us. I want to get to that in just a minute. But before we jump in there, we have to understand, because this is so crucial, why this justification, this being declared righteous by God, uh, how it happens. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about how it's actually faith, not works, that allows us to be declared righteous, that God sees us as perfect, as holy. It's because of something that Abraham believed that when we believe in the same way, God declares that over us. This is a weird thing. Uh, like, I'm just being honest. We don't have much of that kind of, uh, kind of interaction with anybody else in any other way in our society. It's really rare that if you just simply believe something, you gain something. So I think for a lot of us as Americans, it's really hard to accept. You're like, man, but I can't get something for free just because I trust in God. I need to earn it. I need to work at it. I need to like, I don't feel good just being given something. In fact, uh, uh, for a lot of guys and uh, ladies, there's a pride associated with that. Like, yo, man, I'm not just going to take something for free. Like, I got to earn it. Like, I, I want this thing to be mine. But I want it to be mine on my terms. And what Paul tells us is there's no way for us to be good. There's no way to earn it. Paul says we've all sinned and fallen short of the perfection of God, the glory of God. The only way that we can experience the salvation, the rescue that comes in Christ is when we believe in faith. Now we talked last week, remember the illustration? The great Blondin, right? The dude who literally was the first one to ever tightrope across Niagara Falls. Now he didn't have saving faith, all right? It was his manager, Harry Colcord, who actually had saving faith because when Blondin said, who thinks I can put somebody on my back and walk across the falls? Everybody's like, we do, we believe. And he said, well, get on. And everybody's like, heck no, <laughs> not doing that. Harry Cocord was the only one who said, I have faith. And it wasn't just the faith of up here. It was the kind of faith that Abraham had, right? Abraham said, I believe and I'll go. I believe and I will continue to be intimate with my 100-year-old wife. I believe and I will get on Blondin's back. That's saving faith. And what Paul says is, when we have this kind of saving faith, therefore, there are three things that come to us as benefits of this kind of saving faith. Let me tell you the three things real quick. You'll see them right there in verses one and two. And then I want to spend just a real brief moment talking about each one of those three things. Number one, we have peace with God. Number two, we have gained access to God's grace. And number three, we can boast in the hope of God's glory. Let's start with peace with God. You'll see that right there. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Now, this word peace is something that we usually connect with uh, an absence of war, right? Like, well, if, I, if I'm not like in a fight with somebody else, then that's peace. Because that's kind of how we often think about it. But for a Jewish person like Paul, 
who's writing this to uh, at least an audience that understood Judaism, when he uses the word peace, he's not simply talking about the absence of war. In Hebrew, the word peace is the word shalom. And it has more to do with this idea or this concept that everything is in its right place. Everything is good and at rest. Nothing is out of order. Uh, It's an objective kind of peace, not a subjective kind of peace. Objective is like it is. Subjective is like it depends. Uh, Dr. Uh, Douglas Moose says this. He says, this peace is the objective state of harmony with God that believers who have been justified enjoy. It's an objective state of harmony with God. Have you ever had one of those like summer afternoons, maybe on a weekend or maybe you're on vacation and you don't have anything to do, you're chilling out uh, in the backyard or, or at the beach and you're just enjoying the rays of the sun and you feel so relaxed and you're not worried about anything, you're just enjoying, you're in harmony, everything just feels right and good. There's no stress that you're experiencing in that moment. That, that's the concept of shalom, that we have this relationship with God, that there isn't a stress about whether I'm doing the right thing or not, or does he love me or hate me? Is he against me or for me? Or It's this peace that when we're justified by faith, we experience. It's not simply the absence of fighting. It's a wholeness, a togetherness, that Paul is talking about here. That's the first benefit that he mentions. The second benefit is this. We have gained access to God's grace. Uh, This is the one that I probably, I'm still learning how to appreciate the peace, right? Uh, I'm going to work really hard at appreciating the peace that I have with God uh, this next Tuesday and Wednesday, right? Because if there's anybody that ought to not be freaking out about the election and who wins or who loses or who's in or who's out, it ought to be Christians. Because we have a peace with God. But it's the second one that I will admit I probably like the most. Probably because I feel like I need to use it the most. We've gained access into God's Grace. In fact, there's another uh, place where Paul says uh, that we are to come boldly into God's throne room of grace. To understand what grace is, grace is is like the covering for our sin. Uh, Let's flip to the very end of Romans chapter 5, and let's just read verses 20 and 21. This is, uh, I love, man, I camp out on this one because I need to. Paul says, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. In other words, God gave Israel the law knowing that it wasn't going to help them become perfect. In fact, what it was going to do actually was the opposite. It was going to show them how imperfect they actually were. He knew that when the law came in, it was a trespass. Their their sin was going to actually increase. He says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what he's saying here. If you have this much sin, God has this much grace. If you have this much sin, God has this much grace. If you have this much sin, 
God has this much grace. You can never outsin God's grace. It's as if a very, very rich person gave you a credit card that had no limit. Now, they don't say to you, go spend it on whatever you want. Blow it on anything. No, they're like, hey, uh, I want you to use this well, but just know there's no limit on this credit card. I'm not going to get into what chapter 6 says because that's for next week. Uh, Dr. Clifford, Aaron, she's going to be here. Uh, She's going to explain that to us. I'm super excited for that. But I just want you to know this. One of the awesome things about justification through faith, all right, is that we not only have peace with God, but we've gained access into God's grace. And I don't know about you, but I know for me how much I need that credit card of grace. Even now, am I different than I was 20 years ago? Yeah, I am. But are there things that I still struggle with today? Yeah, there are. Are there areas in my life that 20 years ago I didn't even realize were sin that now I know are and I'm trying to work on them? Absolutely. But you know what? I've gained access into God's grace. And man, do I hold on to that. Friends, that is one of the most beautiful, powerful benefits of this saving faith. And then the third thing that he says is that we boast in the hope of God's glory. All right? Now, this is actually what I want to kind of finish on today. So we're not going to spend any time talking about it. We'll come back to it in just a minute. Let's continue reading. All right? Paul's just explained these three amazing things that happen for anybody who puts their faith in God, that believes that God can do what he's promised to do. Let's continue reading, though, what he says. All right? Verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So what Paul is doing here is he's like, hey, there's all these amazing benefits of giving your life to Jesus, of placing your faith, your trust in him, believing that what he said is true. All right? He lists off these three benefits. If you just read that, you'd be like, man, this is amazing. As soon as I become a Christian, everything's going to be awesome. And Paul wants to make sure that he reminds the Romans that even though we are actually in the midst of, uh, or excuse me, even though the outcome's already been determined, we're still in the midst of playing the game. In other words, suffering doesn't simply go away. Uh, There's actually two things that I think this particular uh, two verses help us understand. Uh, The first is simply that. Paul wants them and us to realize that although the game has already been decided, we're still playing it. It's still going on. Life is still tough. Difficult things are still going to happen because Christ has not yet returned to make all things new. Paul wants them to understand this, all right? I think all of us get this. We recognize it, all right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Life has been hard. It's been incredibly hard on our mental health. All over the world, this is true. It's been hard economically for many of us. Uh, It's been hard socially and communally. Uh, There's so many things that we recognize. Some of you have actually uh, experienced the sickness. Some of you have lost people who you loved and were close to due to this pandemic. Uh, This is a big deal. We, We are not out of the woods when it comes to suffering. Christ has not returned to make all things new yet. Paul wants us to understand there's amazing benefits. The outcome's already been decided, but we're still playing the game right now. There's still gonna be hard things that you walk through. The second thing, though, that he does is he wants them to understand that even in suffering, God is using it for our benefit. 
And so he goes on to explain, he says these, uh, these things right here that we've just seen. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character produces, and then he says hope. <laughs> Why hope? I mean, to be honest, like that's not what I would have put in there. I would have said like, look, suffering, man, that, that stinks, but it produces something, all right? Perseverance. Like if you hang on, man, and you get through, like you're going to see your perseverance is growing. You know what perseverance does? Perseverance builds your character, man. You'll never meet somebody who is a deep person that has not gone through deep waters. I'm just telling you that right now. Suffering is probably, that's like God's PhD for your spiritual life. That's the place that you will actually learn and grow in depth. All right? So he's like, yo, it's going to produce perseverance. Perseverance is going to produce character. And then he says, and character will produce, and I want him to say, power or salvation. Like, that's what character ought to produce. It ought to produce rescue. But he doesn't. He says, hope. Like, why in the world would you say hope? Like, that doesn't seem like the kind of thing that I want to go through suffering for. Well, let's keep reading to figure out why. Romans 5. Let's read verses 5 through 8. Paul says, in hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a good per- uh, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, his enemies, Against God, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, the Bible says, look, God's already demonstrated his love. He's already shown you what he can do. He's already proven it in Christ. He allowed Christ to come to this earth to die in our place. And he proved his power when he raised Christ from the dead. This is why he can say to us, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That faith actually saves us. Have we seen the return of Christ when all things are new? No. But we can believe it in faith because God's already demonstrated that he loves us and he has the power to do what he says he can do. That's what he's asking us to actually believe. Now, when the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about hope in a way that we don't generally use. Uh, so let me try to explain this for us. Uh, when we talk about hope, we usually mean wishful thinking, okay? Uh, and let me explain that. Um, if it's in the middle of the summertime and I wanted to go to the beach in the afternoon uh, to chill and just enjoy the awesome, you know, Michigan summer weather, awesome Michigan beaches, I might wake up and go out and look up at the sky in the morning. And if I were to do that on some summer morning and there were storm clouds and the wind was blowing, uh, I might say, man, I really hope that it clears up this afternoon because I want to go to the beach, man. All right, what I'm really saying is, well, I wish it wouldn't be rainy. I wish it would be sunny. That's that's how we generally use the word hope, okay? Like yesterday, I was like, I I hope Michigan wins. And some of you are like, I hope Michigan State wins or whatever it is. We hope about a lot of things, but usually what we mean when we say hope is it's called wishful thinking. 
That's not how the Bible uses the term hope, though. You see, it's very different if I were to wake up on that summer day when I want to go to the beach in the afternoon, and I go out and look at the clouds, and I see, or I go out and look at the sky, and there's full of clouds, but I hop on weather.com, and the weather lady shows me the Doppler radar. And the Doppler radar shows that this afternoon, there's going to be a nice southerly wind that's going to blow all those clouds out, and it's going to be blue, sunny sky. Now, when I look up and see those clouds and say, I hope it's going to be sunny this afternoon, my hope is not based on simply wishful thinking. My hope is based on the belief in a revealed future reality. That's the kind of hope that Scripture talks about. It's not merely wishful thinking. Now, that does assume that I believe the weather lady and her Doppler radar can actually tell me about the future. All right? My hope is built on the revealed future that's been given to me. This is the exact same way that hope is talked about in Scripture. It's not simply wishful thinking. It's actually based on a future reality, a revealed future. That's why the Scripture says we can boast in the hope and that hope does not put us to shame. This is so huge. The reason that he says, look, in suffering, it'll produce perseverance and character, and character will produce hope. Because when the Bible talks about hope, it's not just wishful thinking. It's the belief in a revealed future that I've not yet experienced. God has already proven himself in Christ and he's going to do it again. Let's keep reading verses 9 through 11 as we close out this section. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For while, uh, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We can boast in God. We can boast in this hope. This is why we entitled this Bragging Rights. Uh, let me jump back to uh, Michigan, Michigan State yesterday. Now, if you're from out of town, all right, uh, if you don't live in Michigan, if you're here for college or you're a transplant and you don't know anything about this, uh, this game is like the game that gives bragging rights to one of the schools for the rest of the year. All right, It is a big game. Uh, there's been all kinds of barbs that have been thrown. One year, uh, a player from Michigan called the Michigan State team like little brother. All right, He's like, yeah, sometimes we let him get a lead. You know how you do with your little brother and then we just take it from him. All right, uh, funny, Michigan State didn't think that was hilarious. I don't know why. I, I thought it was great, but they did not. When this game came, we all, as Michigan fans, of which I am one, believed that it really wasn't even going to be a close contest. I didn't even think that it was probably all that interesting to watch, other than I knew I could uh, make fun of all of my Michigan State fans. I uh, wore my Michigan shirt and Michigan hat proudly all day, all right? My Michigan State fans maybe put it on their gear, but they really didn't have a whole lot of hope that anything was going to happen. And then this happened. Yes, Michigan State not only didn't get beat by 25 points, 
they never even trailed the entire game and beat Michigan at home and took home the Paul Bunyan trophy. And now all the Michigan fans are sitting there like, what in the world happened? Now, a week ago, you never would have expected this. But what if I came from the future back to last Sunday? And I went to a Michigan State fan and I said, I know you guys just lost to Rutgers. And that's so embarrassing. (laughs) But you're going to play Michigan. And I know they just beat Minnesota handily. And I know everybody thinks you're going to get destroyed. But I've been to the future and I know you're going to win. What would be the reasonable thing for you to do? A, first of all, you got to ask yourself, do you believe me? Do you believe that I've been to the future and I've seen? I even tell you how it's going to happen. I tell you that you're going to win 27 to 24. I tell you that you're never going to trail the entire game. I talk about different plays, right? It's not that I'm just saying this out of nowhere. I'm giving all kinds of details and specifics. If you believe me, what are you going to do? Well, if you're smart, you're going to wear your Michigan State gear all week, right? If you're really smart, you're going to liquidate all of your worldly assets, okay? And you're going to go down to Vegas and you're going to bet everything you have on Michigan State. Why? Because it's not a bet anymore. You can't lose. You already know the future. You'll give your entire life for that thing. And then when it happens, you'll be jumping around for joy. Not afraid, not ashamed, because you knew already. This is exactly what Paul's trying to tell us as Christians. Bet your life on this. You can't lose The hope that he's talking about isn't something that's out there. The hope is based on a revealed future. And God's already proven it. He's already demonstrated it through Christ in his death and resurrection. He's already explained to us the details of how the game's going to go. Will there be some times that you'll be nervous? Will it be hard? Are you still going to get sacked? Yes, all that's going to happen. But in the end, you win. Friends, This is what Paul wants us to hear today. We need this. If ever there was a week that we needed this, it's this week. This is what it means to boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ that Paul says here in Romans 5. This is what it means to have hope that will not put us to shame here in Romans chapter 5. Friends, don't worry about who wins the election on Tuesday. You already know how it ends. Friends, don't worry about the virus. You already know how it ends. You don't have to worry or wonder what your friends or co-workers might say. When we believe this, and this is the kind of saving act of faith that Paul calls us to, that the scriptures call us to, when we actually believe this, we can bet our lives on it. And therefore, we're not ashamed to stand up for God. We're not afraid to do the things that God asks us to do. We're not afraid to give our money to the poor because God's asked us to do that. We're not afraid to stand up for the lives of the unborn because God's asked us to do that. We're not afraid 
to stand up for black lives because God's asked us to do that. We're not afraid to stand up for immigrant lives because God's asked us to do that. We're not afraid to care for the refugee. We're not afraid to defend the biblical understanding of marriage. And we're not afraid to love our gay neighbor as ourselves. Why? Because we already know how it ends. And we can bet our lives on what God's word has said. Friends, there is nothing greater than that kind of confidence. That's why we say we've got bragging rights. We're not arrogant boasting. We're confident boasting because of who God is and what he's done. Friends, you've already won in Christ. So can we start acting like it? Can we start acting like it? here in Grand Rapids, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in the way that we talk on Facebook, in the way that we interact with our neighbors and coworkers, how we pray for our enemies, how we disagree and love one another still. Wear your faith proudly. Share your faith confidently. Live it passionately. Bet your life on this. In Christ, we cannot lose. That is the message, the hope that does not disappoint here in Romans 5. Father God, we want to be a people that doesn't just talk about it, but that actually lives it. Oh God, let me be a person who truly, genuinely bets my life on everything that your word says. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Father, thank you for raising Christ back to life just as you promised you would. Spirit, thank you for indwelling our hearts through faith sealing us for yourself. God, we are so grateful for the blessings that come when we give ourselves to you in faith. For the reminder that we have peace with you. For the fact that we've gained access into your throne room of grace. For the fact that we can boast not in ourselves, but in you. And that kind of confidence allows us to spend our lives everything we have, everything we own, our time, our energy, regardless of what anybody else says or how people make fun of us or what they think of us, we don't have to be afraid. We have courage because you've already proven yourself and you have revealed the hope, a hope that will not disappoint. Jesus, we can't wait till you come back and make all things new. But until that time, let us live for you with everything we've got. In the name of Jesus, amen.